In a world of art and entertainment, we often seek deeper meaning and overanalyze the presentation. Director Paul Verhoeven often uses B-movie genre as a vehicle for complex human emotions, social satire, and shocking sex and violence. Is this genius subtext for the artist's intent, or our own imagination looking for cosmic connection where none were intended? We call, we this, call dilemma this dilemma the Verhoeven effect. Listen to the Verhoeven Effect podcast. I'm Colin. And I'm Nathan. And we are watching network television because me and Nathan generally do not watch network television. We are currently watching season one of The Blacklist, which first aired in 2013. We are watching season two of The Mentalist, which first aired in 2009. <laughs> uh, and we are watching season two of Miami Vice, which first aired in 1985. And as always, we start with The Blacklist. We have season one, episode 21, Berlin, number eight, which is total bullshit. Yeah, because <laughs> the whole idea of this episode is Red doesn't know who's after him, so why is he on the list? <laughs> I was anyway. wondering that myself. <laughs> yeah, that's just the flaw of the naming system. But whatever. <laughs> yeah, well, I think this is a show that's like evolves over time. Uh, original air date May fifth, two thousand fourteen. NBC Monday. Liz refuses to work with Red after discovering the truth about the death of her father. Seeking to make amends and force Liz to see him, Red brings the FBI. A case they can't ignore. Meanwhile, Liz reveals that she knows about Tom's secret life to the FBI. Showrunner John Bokingham, written by John Eisendrath and John Bokenkamp, and directed by Michael Zinberg. We start out. We have some. Well, I don't know. Did you have a quick synopsis first, or are we just going into? The no, movie? it's just it was. It, it, it's. I'm glad that she like finally admits to the FBI. Like, oh yeah, my <laughs> husband is some kind of deep cover agent. <laughs> yeah, it's fun. It's like Liz does all the things like you like if this actually happened you're supposed to do but because it's a show it's like we're gonna ignore all that <laughs> but at least they make the effort to like this is what should happen <laughs> yeah yeah i appreciated that we have some guy who's just coughing blood into a sink his wife shows up and says like stella has a talent show <laughs> it's like oh no guess he's not making it to a talent show yep uh, he just progressively gets worse as he goes does his job as being like in the back of an armored truck so it's just like a armored truck courier hauling the money around and i guess it was like specifically like the payroll for the like airline or something yeah it seemed kind of very uh reminiscent of like uh like, oh is this like the uh the brain like or, Goodfellas? yeah <laughs> or what was that called no it was the what was the name what's the german airline uh, lufthansa yeah the lufthansa jobs like oh are they stealing the <laughs> payroll this guy an inside guy has he got lung cancer is he dying and he's doing this for his family <laughs> i mean you never know what this show like <laughs> Yeah, I mean, kind of. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, it is. And he suddenly he has like just a syringe full of something, but he never takes it. Yeah. I first thought, oh, like, oh, is that the cure or is that the delivery device? I don't know. Apparently, it's a delivery device, and he just has it on him. Uh, I don't know how he got it because he, this guy, basically, you think he's like saying out some part of his plan because he essentially elects to die in this bank. Yeah. And he calls the police to say he's sick. Uh, and he leaves a recorded message to his wife that he, like he loves her or something, and then he just falls over dead. And then like some people are like, "No, we need a quarantine." And then everyone's just like, F "That I'm getting out of here." Yeah, no, the, the, yeah, this guy just vomited his lungs out on the floor. I think I'm out of here. 
<laughs> the guy pulls a gun. It's like, no, you're not. His name's Paul. He's like, he's like, yeah, he started bleeding from the ears and everything. Yeah, he's just bleeding. And then, yeah, and then we cut. I think, uh, yeah, I think that's the the credits. And we come back from credits, and Liz and Wrestler are standing, and Liz is like wrecked home. And this is like the aftermath of her having told him everything about what's going on. And Wrestler, who's like, you know, had a kind of a character change, and now is like warm to Liz, is just like, yeah, you should quit your job. He's like. Ah, we'll figure this out, Liz. So, so that's his that's his character. Yeah, he's changed. His 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 <laughs> he's moved in a different direction. And then we have kind of a montage where she's being interviewed by FBI agents as she like admits to everything about Tom. <laughs> and they have fun because they're trying to like they're basically kind of be in the audience. It's like, wait, he came in here and we interviewed him <laughs> and we got nothing. But no, it was actually true what we thought he was. And she's like, yeah. It's like, don't you think that seems suspicious? And she's like, yeah. Yeah. She was telling the guy, don't ever call him my husband again. <laughs> they also revealed that, like, you know, everybody that, that Tom's associated with is dead, except for apparently Gina Zanatakos was in jail. And they were just like, oh, yeah, she she escaped. And then yeah. they just, like, leave it at that. She escaped on work release, which is like, huh? <laughs> well, they, they put, like, international criminals. It's like, yeah, just go work at the local sandwich shop. It's like, yeah, what could go wrong? And then we cut to Tom, and he, he tries losing his tail, and he does by capturing his tail. <laughs> yeah. Red's going over some documents in his plane, and just everything's bad for Red. It's like, yeah, his numbers aren't working out. Dembe, and Dembe's like, all right. I want to go <laughs> eat some more of that marijuana ice cream. <laughs> How many bullets should I order? Yeah. Then we have Tom torturing his tail. And he, he says, like, you don't choose Berlin. Berlin chooses you. And so this is where we're like, oh, Berlin's a guy, I guess. Yeah, it's a person. Yeah. I just thought it was a geographical location for the longest yeah. time. I mean, it could be both. You know? Yeah. I mean, we, yeah, we talked about that once. It's like, <laughs> yeah, it's got to be that. And then. It's like, oh, well, maybe it's a group based in Germany or not. Who knows? Yeah. Maybe it's a guy. We cut to Liz talking to Cooper. She puts forth her, res her resignation, which is, you know, the right thing to do. Yeah, it seems like this was probably should have happened. I mean, she never wanted to be on this force in the first place. Uh, she's compromised, and it's incredibly stressful to her. So it's like, yeah, get somebody else on this team. <laughs> And then she tells Cooper that Red killed her father, and I think Red's in there, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, because he, because he, Cooper's like, I want to talk to her alone, and Red's like, No, I don't think so. <laughs> it's like, okay. Yeah, I think because I, you don't notice he's in there at first, because like she doesn't even acknowledge that Red's in there. <laughs> and then even when she's like, so when Red's like speaking to her directly, she just like talks to Cooper. She just ignores him completely. But Red says he's got info on Tom, so it's like... Then we learn that what the armored car courier, like what he has called the colon virus, which I looked up a little bit ago, which is not a real virus, but weirdly, it's when you look it up, the first thing that pops up is the Marburg virus. Yeah, Ebola Marburg. Well, it's not Ebola, but it acts pretty much yeah, exactly it's... like... It's called a... Oh, it's a VHS. It's like a... Or not VHS, a VHF, which is a viral hemorrhagic fever. <laughs> which basically where you bleed from everywhere yeah you just dissolve from the inside out yeah it's it's a hemorrhagic type fever uh um, and it's called a, it's it's because we're like a group four pathogen or something that which is like the highest at the who uh world health organization so it's like no known cure incredibly contagious so it's like on the same level as ebola so yeah it's nasty um, stuff 
and it's called like Marburg because some scientists in the 60s were like dissecting monkeys from Africa and they're like it got out. It went through the ventilation system in a hospital in Germany. Killed like seven people, but 30 people got infected. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, and then the Russians, of course, <laughs> tried to militarize it. So, <laughs> of course. So that's out there. But here it's like an even, they make it seem like it's an even worse virus than that. It's like, like it's so bad, like you can't even work on it. <laughs> Yeah, it's, but, it's like that. See, that's the thing, like, with um, – because I think we both read that same book, The Hot Zone, that talked about that. And it's one of those things that's like, yeah, it's terrible and it's contagious, but it's not like influenza COVID contagious. Because uh, if it was, it's like, oh, yeah, you can just kiss half the world goodbye. Like, it's uh, – Yeah, it's, it's not airborne, but it has to be, like, direct. Yeah. But So if someone sneezes on you, <laughs> you can get it, but – it's not floating in the air ready for you to breathe in. Well, remember the, uh, what was that mo uh, weird one, uh, 28 Days Later? Yeah. Yeah, that was basically an Ebola virus that they modified to make people insane. And uh, But yeah, that's why everyone was bleeding all the time and all their eyes were, <laughs> all the blood vessels were blown out in their eyes and stuff. It's because, yeah, it was basically a, a, a hemorrhagic uh, virus that was spread through bodily fluids. But Red's saying that, like, this virus was brought about to like try to kill him like they'll kill half the world just to get to me <laughs> yeah it's like that's a lot of uh <laughs> which seems very narcissistic <laughs> and also like from the planning phase it's like yeah we're just gonna essentially destroy the world that we're operating in uh <laughs> you know because we're all like arms dealers and dealing with governments and secret groups and it's like yeah most of those people are gonna die or just be lost in the collapse of civilization but damn it red will be dead <laughs> you know, and it's it's like, oh, this is like, it's like using a nuclear bomb to kill one guy in a city or something. Like, it seems a little over the top. But, you know, it's it's like, it's exciting. Yeah, I mean, for the blacklist, I mean, that's what you want. I mean, red's the center of the universe, and so <laughs> someone's going to kill the universe to get red. So. Yeah. Although here it's like they, he, the guy altered the virus so that it, it wouldn't infect anybody else, just yeah. him. Yeah. Um, somehow, so like, that's... So the threat is there. It's like, no, that's a virus that could kill everybody, but he modified it so he just killed this guy. And that and never also, backfires. <laughs> and also he's like the only one with a cure. Uh, but Red says they're looking for a guy named Bruce Saunders, so they think he might be working on it, but we'll find out. Yeah, yeah I wrote down the cure was in Paul's pocket, but that's not the cure. That's just the virus, I guess. And then, then we find out, then we cut to like another kind of slightly overweight guy coughing. <laughs> like, so he's the next victim, Mr. Klein, which it seems like if you gave him that virus, he might die from other reasons before the virus gets Yeah, that guy was looking pretty rough before. It's, it's like, this is, uh, what did they call that in COVID? Um, comorbidities. It seems yeah. like there were some comorbidities there. So then Red and Liz meet Dr. Sanders, and they're like in a psych ward, <laughs> uh, which I didn't notice that at first. And I was like, oh, wait, this is, this is a psychiatric ward. Yeah, when, I, when, he said, when he kept saying, like, or when he was talking about the staff there, he's like, yeah, they're pretty good. But, I, you know, I fired uh, the oh, I forget what the one lady's name was. I fired her three times, and she keeps coming back. And then I was looking <laughs> at her, and it's like, Oh, he's a he's in a psychiatric facility. Yeah. Like he's not some doctor well, doing research. He's a crazy person. Yeah, yeah. Because at first they're like, oh, they had a college, and this. But I started looking at the people in the background. And they're just kind of doing like the looking at their hands, like they don't know what their hand is. So like, oh, this. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> these people are on antipsychotics. <laughs> and apparently, he got this way because he 
gave himself meningitis to test out a cure and then like his kind of scattered mind was the result of it oh um, yeah meningitis will fry your brain it's yeah. <laughs> he's trying and then the guy's like talking about like conspiracy theory stuff so like and then liz gets fed up with him and leaves because she thinks it's some like ruse that, that red is setting up <laughs> right right <laughs> but then they find out that someone is using Sa- sanders research to, but is testing it in a lab somewhere and then also yeah, yeah they're sitting on a bitch and like tom has like you know like the because the, the guy tailing Tom, like, had the, a, a spider tattoo on his neck. And then, like, you see Red, hey, does this look familiar to you? It's a spider tattoo. And then, like, you kind of flip around. You see, like, all the blood on the back of it. I'm like, oh, Tom just sent him the guy's neck. Okay. Yeah, he just cut the, it was like a black widow with the red hourglass. It was a cool-looking tattoo. It's probably <laughs> not something I'd put on my neck or body, but it did look cool. <laughs> And then they interview Sanders again. He keeps saying the, the agent UD four one two six, which corresponded to like a um, like a code on the badge. So it was like a CDC code or something like that. So they're able to like narrow it down to some guy named Doctor Nicholas Vogel. Yeah. That Amir is able to figure out by all the the badge stuff. Which actually I like that stuff because there's always like, what's all this shit on my driver's license? And like it all has a meaning, but you just like you, you get to ignore it. It's like all right, whatever. <laughs> And then we have Mira and Wrestler like interrogate Dr. Vogel. And that guy, uh, his name's Brennan Brown, the actor. He's been in all kinds of stuff. Oh, yeah, okay. I had, I did, uh, yeah, because I had to watch this in a weird way. I didn't get to write down any of the special uh, character actors in this episode. So. Yeah, he's someone who I remember from. It's like, oh, I've seen this guy in everything. He did a good yeah. job, too, as being kind of this snide, arrogant person. Yeah, he figured he was going to have like a bigger part, but there's like that parts to be revealed so he kind of gets shoved to the side but i was like cooper doesn't want liz to resign there's also like something in place where it's like if she resigns then coop then red's going to jail yeah it's like all his immunity is going to be rescinded so like vogel's not giving up any info and then we have like we cut to a bunch of different people that they're all been infected and he's all blackmailing all of them and then in the midst of that, we get to the end. <laughs> we find out that Liz infected Dr. DeVoco with the virus to blackmail him back. Yeah. So she's learning from Red. <laughs> Which that's an interesting, like, interrogation technique. <laughs> and you think at first, it's like, well, they could never do that. But then you're, what you're talking about being released is like, oh, yeah, they'd absolutely do that. <laughs> this guy would just disappear to a black site and that, that'd be that. <laughs> it's like, yeah, he died in custody. It was terrible. Sorry. Uh, and so they were able to do that because the uh, the guy from Paul, the guy from the beginning, like saved that and kind of sacrificed himself rather yeah. than do the thing he's being blackmailed to do. So you don't really give that credence. You just have to think about that. It's like, ah, it ends up working out for Paul in the future. Well, it doesn't work out for him. I mean, it works out for the future, not for Paul. Paul's dead. Yeah. And I doubt the FBI is going to like, here's a reward for doing a good job. That's not going to happen. But, you know, there's a future to live in. And then, like, then we have Liz, like, going through, like, it's like a montage. She's going through all the blacklist cases, blacklist cases. And she's trying to put everything together. And then she finds a pattern. And, like, all the cases... All the cases that we've seen, like all, they all come together. But then, even they, even in like the when they explain it all, it's like, well, not all of them. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, the big ones. Yeah, I mean, you remember the stuff she's talking about. It's like I remember that guy. I remember his victim. I remember what happened to him. It's like, okay, that's that's again, bunch of string diagrams, you know, in yeah. in your room. Like, 
This is what crazy people do, make these connections. And only in TV and movie world does it ever work out. Unless it's The Wire. Then you get all that cool stuff, but then nobody ever solves any of the crime because greed wins. Yeah. It's like, I have the answer, but I also have a suitcase of $100,000 in drug money, so hell with the answer. <laughs> I'm getting out of this city before it collapses. <laughs> but this is where they mentioned that like Red doesn't know who's coming after him. That's like what's scaring Red the most, I guess. Yeah. Because even like when you had the, the Anzo Garrick guy who like basically was about to kill Red many a times. Yeah, he's been like, close. Like that guy was sent from, from Alan, so he's like, he knows that danger. <laughs> this danger is unknown. <laughs> then we have Liz like trying to like take back the whole FBI capturing Red thing. So she's like she's still in the mix, so she can't like like I don't know, she hasn't I don't know, she hasn't resigned yet or just the papers on the desk, but it's it's in flux right now. Like, I guess we should say this is a two-parter. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, we don't know at all yet. We're not gonna, yeah. But then we have the the pilot that there's a pilot for some Russian aircraft. It looks like a DC three or something. It's, yeah, yeah. It's, I, it's I thought because when I first saw that aircraft, I was like, oh, are they using like the cover of a like an air show of World War Two <laughs> aircraft to move this thing around New York? But then in a later scene, we see that, oh, they scrambled F-14 Tomcats to shoot <laughs> it down. It's like, ha, huh, they're going through space and time to shoot these planes. It's two antique aircraft chasing each other. It's amazing. Yeah, because it's twin engine, like, prop plane. It's like a prisoner transport because there's, like, the person who's, like, probably Berlin is, like, handcuffed with a hoodie on, but they need the keys. Yeah. And also the pilot just, like, shoots some of the passengers but not all of them yeah there's something he shoots the co-pilot co it's, it's what's going on that made no sense <laughs> i hope it does because there's not there's there's no conclusion i can think of where any of that made any sense yeah just like cool visually but it's like what's yeah. going on here and so, yeah so the, the the fbi show up at the uh, well it's like there's also like this tactical team that comes in to take over the airport and then the FBI shows up. And so they just turn tail. The plane's about to land, but then they get like, he gets a message like they take off. So they take off. So that's when they send the, the F they scramble, they, they scramble the, uh, they scramble the stock footage to go after the, after the Russian aircraft. Also at the same time, red's like sitting down at a bench. He's talking to Liz and he's about to be arrested and like red pulls a gun he's like kind of like it looks like he's pulling it on on liz for a bit yeah uh, and then he's like surrounded by the fbi and cops and then and then red tells like one of his fantastical stories about a near-death experience because he got like stung by some lionfish somewhere yeah and so then he like then he starts to surrender puts the gun away and then we see that that russian prop plane is like crashing in the background <laughs> in that scene of the episode and by the way, just, just for some more paint on the pastel, I'm not exactly sure, but I think like the F-14 Tomcats fired an AMRAAM missile at this uh, plane flying over New York, I think, or Washington yeah. or something. And it's like, it just, it blew the engine up in another not yeah. so special effect. But it's like, oh, that would have blown that plane to pieces. Yeah. It's, it's like, oh. Uh, no, it just hit just the engine. It was okay. Yeah. <laughs> But again, they use the stock footage of like, if they fired a Sidewinder, I might believe that because those are the long skinny ones. But they, yeah. they fired like a radar guided anti-jamming missile with like a 300 pound <laughs> warhead on it. It's like, oh, just blown that plane to pieces. But OK, again, yeah, it's just works. little things I see where I'm like, ah, OK, 
Yeah, I mean that's yeah. That's you have to cut the budget. You can't like build a set. Yeah, you know, like I mean, you couldn't get permission from the Navy to do that stuff for your show unless your show was like propaganda for the Navy. So of course you just use stock footage. Yeah. Because I mean it's real. <laughs> it's yeah. real footage of that stuff going on. I mean those planes really took off with that aircraft carrier like in the eighties yeah. and. Um, <laughs> You know, it's off the USS Enterprise or something that doesn't exist anymore. It's like, yeah, it was just funny to me. It didn't. I did. The episode was good. It's just sometimes I, I see this stuff and I'm like, well, they could have done it. Well, I don't an think F-18 that, yeah. stock footage. I, don't, I think the episode's kind of all over the place. It's fine as a buildup as long as the next episode pays off. Yeah, I mean, this is dependent on payoff. <laughs> yeah, this is yeah. this is one of those episodes where like. On its own, this was a mess, but and nothing paid off. But it's not; it's a two-parter. So yeah, yeah. But if they just don't follow up on that, and we like end up in the woods somewhere with Red crying, it's like, well, this didn't really, <laughs> this didn't go the direction I thought it was gonna go. But and also, like, I don't know, like, is there somebody we're supposed to expect the hooded person to be that like would be surprising? Anthony Hopkins. <laughs> So I don't think there's like any like kind of major character that like didn't die or maybe died or like sh- surely they're dead and they would come back and it'd be surprising. Or if they're just going to reveal a guy and he's just supposed to be somebody. Unless it's just Tom again. It's like, I'm Berlin. It's like, wait, what? Wow. <laughs> wait, so is this a fight club situation? Yeah. You discovered yourself. and you. <laughs> yeah, it's Tom with multiple personalities. It's like you find out everyone in the show has multiple personalities. <laughs> We're hunting ourselves. Yeah, see, it's a, it's a multiverse. <laughs> They're colliding together. When I was at CERN, did I tell you <laughs> what happened when I was at CERN? And I smoked a bong. It was wonderful. It was, it was like a tentacled bong. And they turned the machine on, and all of a sudden, I'm three different people at once. And, that's when the gates of hell open, Liz. It was CERN, and and I learned a lot about myself. It's like, well, this just took I, a whole different direction. That's how I learned to make this mojito. Yeah, it's like a gun goes off, the mojito, like the bat, the bottom of the mojito, like cut, cuts out. Yeah, and then Red's not phased by it all. He's like, hmm, it's a, it's a waste of a mojito. It's not what I thought would happen. Which always reminds you of that joke from uh, the critic. Where he has his alcoholic father. Yeah. Like a, there's like a scene where like a gun goes off and it hits his dad's like glass, whatever alcoholic drink he has. In it. And he kind of like, he kind of like looks sad for a moment. And he goes, not to worry. And he just has another alcoholic drink. The other <laughs> yeah. It's like, that's the most important. It's, oh no, I got a replacement right here. And not that there's random gunfire yeah. sailing through. Yeah. And for, well, do you have any speculations of what's going to happen? Or are you just like waiting for the next episode? I'm just waiting for the next. Well, yeah, because mine starts to roll the next episode. And it's like, oh, I want to watch this. Like, no, no, (laughs) don't do it. I'm going to go watch the boys instead. (laughs) Yeah, I only got one more episode of Blacklist. Yeah. So, Mementos, we have season two, episode 21, 1854, which corresponds to the alphabet. So, it spells red. (laughs) I figured as much, but it's because it's the first number one we've had in the Mentalist, right? Yeah. Well, well it's, yeah, just something's always associated with red. That's yeah. There. Which the only thing we're like kind of, I think one, of, one, one episode is called Russet Potatoes. And like, are they red in any way? And like, I guess in other countries, they're kind of a brown red. Yeah. I remember. Yeah. I think we looked that one up. And it's like in Spain, you know, and 
in the Basque region under the or right like an, light. Or like russet in like French means like red brown or something like that. I yeah. Uh, original air date May 6, 2010, CBS Thursday. A brilliant mathematician is shot and killed by a clown, and the team <laughs> discovers that he was working on a priceless code breaking device. Shown are Bruno Heller, written by Leonard Dick and Ken Woodruff, directed by Charles Beeson. So yeah, yeah, we have some guy just breathing heavy, and he's in a hurry. Uh, and we have a clown giving chase. That seems like something out of it. Yeah, it was kind of weird. The clown just pops out and shoots the guy, leaves the gun, cuts his finger off, <laughs> and leaves. And the victim is Noah Villaquet. Yep. And in that scene, they don't show it, but they have wonderful foley work. Because it's like, oh, they're, he's taking out prune shears to cut the finger off and then you hear the finger being cut off yeah which is kind of like this is jarring and strange and like they show it like being clamped down and then like cut away and it's just everything you all you need to just imagine it happened but it didn't actually yeah (laughs) so we kind of like cut to the next scene where it's like they're cording off the place and cbi shows up they're kind of looking things over and like lisbon is like hey i'm because local cops like hey this isn't our big thing we try to do everything not to disturb the crime scene and lisbon's like yeah you're doing a good job like it's like it seems like you guys have a handle what's the problem and like turn a corner and there's just like 800 clowns like yeah. waiting for a job <laughs> yeah someone put like a ad in a trade daily saying uh we need a clown to be in a tv show show up with your clown outfit on yeah. It's like, oh, an intricate murder with <laughs> deception. Van Pelt's like intervening the clowns and she's creeped out by them. So, yeah. But it's also because they're like trying to be cute. And it's also like, like one guy's hitting on her. And yeah. <laughs> and then Jane and Lisbon go to talk to, to the family of Noah. He was like kind of an autistic math genius. Yeah. We have his wife, Daphne, who's Lucy Davis. She's been in a bunch of things you probably know. She was like in Shaun of the Dead. Uh, she was also like in Wonder Woman as like her British friend that helped her out in like the first part of it. Yeah, I noticed that that actress kind of seemed to slip in and out of an American accent. Yeah, where yeah. I couldn't tell like is she supposed to be foreign? Is that part of it, or is she just like, hey, we need someone on set for forty eight hours? What are you doing? <laughs> and like, oh, I've never done an American accent. That's okay. <laughs> just we're aiming for Southern California trailer trash kind of. <laughs> Do that. But if you're off a little bit, you'll just seem more interesting. So don't worry about it. Joss Whedon, who I guess like lives in Britain now, and now he's starting to use like British terminology and now everyone thinks like now it'd be everyone hates him even more. Oh, the Madonna syndrome? Yeah, yeah. Where you live in you live in a country for three years and lifelong speech patterns start to change. It's like <laughs> it's not how it works. Oh, there's a there's a podcast that guy listened to, he's from Ireland. And yeah, I've been listening to him do a podcast for like, I don't know, like six or eight years, something like that. And he lives in America now. He does sound like an American, but you can always tell he's not originally American, yeah. but he does sound American. <laughs> yeah, one of the guys that works on my car, like he's from, uh, where is he from? He's from like London or something, but something like that. And it's like you talk to him and you're like, yeah, he sounds like an American, but then it's like, no, he doesn't. Wait a minute. And then one time I was like, where are you from? He goes, oh, I, was, I came here when I was like 15. It's like, oh, okay. He goes, yeah, you can still tell. I said, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It said, it's not obvious, but if you pay attention, it's like, it's yeah, you can tell it's kind of like uh, the pitch is off, I guess, is how you'd say. Yeah. 
because uh, he's not saying, oh, bloody hell, you know, it's nothing that <laughs> obvious. Not do it like a chimney sweep for Mary Poppins <laughs> or something, but he's like, oh, yeah, he kind of fades in and out. And he also looks like a marionette. He's literally the tallest, thinnest man I've ever seen. It's like, <laughs> how do you work on cars, dude? It's, it's like, because his arms and legs literally look three times longer than, it's like, oh. Uh, I mean, I don't know, like skinny would be nice because just get up somewhere without scraping your arm all over the place. Yeah, I mean, I get but he's like a well over six foot. And it's like, mm. but they have lifts and hoists, so it doesn't matter. Um, Bring the work so to that- you. Daphne, the wife, was, like, keeping them afloat because apparently even though he's, like, a super math genius and he wrote, like, these books, like, he doesn't have any regular work. And so she was keeping them afloat with waitressing. Yeah. Even though it seems like they have, like, a decent house in California. Yeah, she was talking about, like, yeah, we barely have money to eat. And it's like, huh? Well, then you find out (laughs) it was his house originally. Like, he got it somehow. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. right. Because the stuff that happens later in the episode is like, oh, okay. And then she's saying, like, Noah was doing day trading, and so that might be some reason why he was killed. Noah was afraid of clowns, so there was a tragic death for him. <laughs> so not only did he die horribly, he died afraid. Yeah, see, I immediately, like, wrote the brother in. as like, oh, the brother dressed up as a clown, because either <laughs> he's, like, got something going with the wife, which didn't seem very possible, because, like... Noah was like a little skinny, like math guy, and his wife. It kind of made sense that he was married to her. But her husband, his brother was like a guy my size. It's like ah, I don't think yeah. they're having an affair. I think maybe <laughs> you know there was some reason that he did it. Although Jane is suspicious of the brother at first because he's like, "You don't seem too upset about this." And it's like I don't know. My brother was weird. <laughs> yeah, weird, weird stuff's gonna happen to him. You tell me his car's on fire. You tell me he's dead. I have the same reaction. He's a of weirdo. <laughs> You never know what's going to happen with these weirdos. <laughs> Don't make it my problem, you psychic. <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't quite playing that character, but yeah. But they point at Tolman Bunting, who's like Noah's chess opponent. Yeah. And Bunting's some puzzle master guy, so they go to a shop of puzzles. And it's played by Fisher Steve. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was like, oh, this guy. Who is definitely a character actor, because he... <laughs> One of his most famous roles is playing an Indian in, in uh, oh, what's that called? Johnny Five. Oh, yeah, Short Circuit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I also always remember him from that movie Hackers where he plays like the the corporate hacker. Yeah, the, the guy on a skateboard who's just a douchebag because he's like yeah. 40 years old or, you know, he's, he's not a young kid anymore, but he's like yeah. still embracing that culture. It's almost a similar character here, but not, yeah, not yeah. Quite. This TV show draws a lot of parallels because I thought because as soon as you bring in like troubled math genius and day trading, I'm thinking, oh, they're retelling this Pi the movie, where the guy <laughs> guy figures out how to you know hack the stock market with super algorithms that and proofs yeah. that'll yeah, and then it's like, oh no, now it's now it's sneakers. It's oh, they've he's made the C-Tech astronomy box again. It, which has come up before? Was it in the Mentalist? No, that was in Blacklist. Never mind. Okay, but yeah, I, I, I was I, I got a lot of inferences to other movies from this. Yeah, because whenever you say troubled math guy and you start talking about uh, stock market, it's like, oh yeah, they're just doing pie. Okay, it's um, actually a really cool movie, by the way. And so Jane and Bunting start playing a chess game, but like in their heads. Yeah. Which is something I hate, where it's like being good at chess equates to being a genius. It's like. No, you're just good at a game. It doesn't equate to anything. Look at any chess genius. Like, that's the only thing they're good at. They're not, like, 
Well, I always like think awesome. I always think back to the uh, uh, Kirk Spock because remember they were always playing multi-dimensional chess, and and it was part of some stories where they'd be speaking in code where like Kirk would be like yeah, Bishop to King Bishop's three, you know, because Spock could never beat Kirk at chess, and it's like Spock is obviously like the genius but it's like no kirk's a tactical genius and, and they're also playing like three-dimensional chess which they never explain how it works but yeah it's like okay well yeah, it's future chess but yeah that was always it a thing complicated so it must be that was always a thing the interesting thing with kirk and spock where they played that off is like yeah spock could never be chess. <laughs> when spock is clearly like a science super genius and a vulcan half a vulcan but nope kirk's a tactician never never wins but in this in this thing they're talking it's like yeah both these guys are smart so they can also do like you know queen's rules chess calls in their head and keep the game going and all that yeah. and it's like hardly anyone could do that except for like chess grandmasters and people like that they can do that because that's all they do I don't, sometimes i just hate like that's a it's a really it's a it's just a trope or shortcut where it's like somebody's got chess they're a genius yeah um remember they did it in Superman Red Sun where they had um Lex uh, Luthor. Uh, Lex Luthor is he's 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 like at the same time he's playing ten games of chess, he's curing cancer, and he's invented a new power cell, like all in the fifth four like in like fifteen minutes of each other. It's like, okay, we get it. He's a genius. Yeah, he's smart. <laughs> Any one of those things I would be like, Oh, I'm impressed. So I just hate it as like a shortcut, but uh but I, I know what you're getting. Cause like I, I was never, I was never good at chess, but uh, I, I never played it at all. I never. I understand how the game is played, and I enjoy playing it. But then I play people that are really good, and I'm like, oh yeah, I don't know anything about this game. <laughs> yeah, well, it's like it's, I don't know. It's a weird thing about like like it's, it's with video games too. It's like once you like actually like oh to be good at it, you have to like dig down, know all these details, and it's like I just want to come at it like naturally and see if I'm any good at it, and that's fun. It's not fun to know like every inch of the game and then yeah. just like act and then just like activate whatever section of like this is the counter and all that stuff. Like that sounds that sounds absolutely awful. That's not fun anymore. It's like not spontaneous at all. Like, yeah. That's, that's not a game anymore. That's just like a rule set. Well, that's why checkers is a thing too. Because checkers <laughs> is more what you're talking about. Just yeah. throw yourself into the fray. There is a strategy, but there's no like Oh, you're using the you know the Perlman Gambit. Uh, it's, no, they don't have any of that. And also, I could just never beat the uh, the AI in the no. those chess games. No. <laughs> nope. I remember one time I like played like I was play. There's like a chess club I had to go to one time, and somebody like was able to like beat me in four moves, and it's like that just made me feel really bad. But also, like I didn't know, I didn't know the. F- the form it's like it's like if if you move the knight on the right side it's like and somebody just and like you don't and you don't like move the bishop or a pawn in the right way they can beat you in four moves and it's like it's not like i was stupid it's that they knew yeah that thing <laughs> it's like a guy who can do pull trick shots yeah. it's the same kind of logic it's like yeah you can do that to people that don't know what it's coming but yeah play another guy who has any level of skill and you're not getting trick shots you know it's yeah, that's that stuff's kind of interesting. That's why I like Tetris, even <laughs> though I know there's a whole thing there, and I actually understand some of it. I still just like to natively play Chet- Tetris sometimes. Yeah, 
And usually I can get it to the point where I'm playing where it's going so fast I can't see the pieces. It's like, well, I'm I lost, but it's <laughs> like everything's a blur on the screen, so I must have done pretty good. Yeah. And according to Facebook, I was like top ten percent, and I was like, great. But yeah, I'm yeah. still not. You know, and then you find out like almost everyone's ninety percent. Like, yeah, I, know. <laughs> I didn't think I just like a, a a window opened in my mind or anything. Again, it's like fun to just do that casually, but then if you had to like. Well, I got to get to the top point zero one percent. That's not fun anymore. Yeah, <laughs> that's a job. And how much does that pay? Yeah, <laughs> Bunting talks about like Noah wanting to like make a bet, but he wanted he didn't want to make a bet with him. So then that sends him off onto like, okay, well, I guess Noah was betting instead of actually like day trading. Yeah, well, because they also look at like Noah's computer stuff, and it's like he never bought a stock in his life. Like, yeah, yeah, no evidence of that. Yeah, yeah, Ben Pelt finds out like, yeah, he's never bought a stock. And then so Daphne calls, and she's afraid that someone's in her house. And the CB, CBI clear the house, but and they find a safe on the floor. Lisbon opens up the safe with the severed finger that got covered up, got, got cut off in the beginning. Yeah, and Jane's having tea in her kitchen. The old <laughs> tea detective. And this is where I wrote down. It's like, is Daphne, like, is, is she involved with this somehow? And, like, she just called the cops on herself? That was a good guess. It's a great way to alibi. <laughs> <laughs> then we get i forget how this gets links up they get something like they connect his account to some guy named like beast slayer online yeah and van pout's fine it's some guy named like alec mosca uh who i wrote down it's scott menville plays the actor but you really don't know who he is but he's in like 300 things because he's also a voice actor okay so that's where he gets most of his credits from is some voice work which i kind of feel sorry about about like like big animated movies because the money they make and like all the cast is just like actual like millionaire actors and like you just kicked out all these voice actors yeah <laughs> but luckily there's a lot of workout so they can they can make up for it in volume yeah yeah they just have to work a lot more but they don't have to work out all the time and, and look beautiful either it's, yeah it's like i'm behind the mic i mean you ever seen the guy that voices like archer it's just like oh yeah this guy's definitely a voice actor and then mosca is like some part of like a gambling ring or whatever and it's funny when they arrest him, he's like trying to like throw something out the window and he has like a bag of cash. And because Cho and Rigsby like show up and like we're CBI, we need to talk to you. And then he starts running and they break in. And like they're explaining again, like we're CBI. And like, he's like, What the hell's the CBI? And Cho just goes, We're like the FBI, only more conveniently located. Yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> that guy thought he was there to shake him down for a bookie that he owed money to. Yeah, <laughs> it's like we said we were cops. We identified ourselves. It's like everyone does that, haven't you seen TV? And Cho's like, no, nobody does that. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, Cho's interviewing Mosca, and he talks about how like Noah was making gambling picks, and like for like the first two weeks or whatever, everything he guessed was right, and then like for the last three weeks, they've all been wrong. So they're like, oh, something must have been on Noah's mind. So yeah, and then Jane goes back to Bunting, and he gets a gun pulled on him by his bodyguard. <laughs> Because he pretends to have a gun in his pocket. Yeah. So she pulls a gun. And then, you know, Lisbon pulls a gun on that lady. She's like, put the gun down. And, but somehow, like, nobody gets shot. And then they walk into, the, like, the back of, like, this puzzle store. And it's, like, some cybersecurity thing. Yeah, it's <laughs> kind of weird. Got servers set up in the background. So, so apparently, like, you know, this whole puzzle thing is just kind of a front for his, like, cybersecurity gig. Yeah. Uh, which he says isn't associated with like any country. It's just kind of like, you know. So he's. he's oh, I'm for sale. <laughs> yeah, he's highest bidder. <laughs> yeah. He 
made an offer to like three different people to like be to make this like universal code breaker uh to break into everything or like you said like has a set certain name in sneakers the SeaTac astronomy box it's an anagram um, for too many secrets so yeah <laughs> so cbi visit oliver mcdaniel uh, yeah who's in a patriarch award yeah uh, who this is played by evan peters who you might remember as quicksilver from the x-men movies i do does all that slow-mo stuff so yep. <laughs> which i did not recognize it i was like because there's so many people in this episode like oh they did something else other than this and i clicked on him i was like oh he's that guy okay and then so of course oliver and noah knew each other because apparently they're in the same grad school when they were teenagers yeah they all went to the nuts like mathematicians college yeah. it's like it's just full of math geniuses that are all troubled and crazy in some way and they both don't handle real life very well but, no you know the math and puzzles yeah, because he like, starts talking about like the interdimensional lords or something, and Jane, of course, is like, "Oh, those guys, yeah, <laughs> yeah. they're always up to something. <laughs> yeah, they're they're not doing anything good." Uh, Which I thought the reason Jane was doing that was because this guy was faking this for some reason, and Jane <laughs> knew it. But it's like, oh no, Jane's just having a laugh because this guy's nuts. <laughs> yeah, it's like trying to be on his side for a bit before he insults him. Yeah, and he insults his intelligence, and then like he. Oliver threatens that he's going to cut his eyes out with a spoon, but Jane just shrugs it off. It's like, eh, you're not going to do that. Let's not do that. <laughs> Let's skip that. Uh, I forget Jane has some reason why he knows he, he won't ever actually like hurt anybody. It's just all talk. But, you know, like Jane is like, Jane is also a genius among all these genius, but he, he has, he specializes in sort of like human emotions and how to read them. So that's where he has one up on all these guys here. Yeah. But of course, as Jane and Lisbon are, are leaving after the after they don't get a lot of clues because they got they got like um they went to the safe deposit box and there's just like a comic book in there and like a chess set and then Jane's able to find the key so they're basically looking for the the locker that the key belongs to and they think Oliver will know where it is. Well, it was kind of cool because he had like a five hundred dollar glass chess set in the yeah. main room of his house and Jane was like, "Why is the cheap Chinese wooden one in the safe?" Like, yeah. there's nothing valuable about this chess set, and he starts shaking the pieces, and, like, underneath the felt of the king is the key to the locker with a number written on it. Yeah, it just says, I think, 42? Yeah. And so they, as they're leaving, and so they, they they told him about the locker, so as they're leaving, Oliver escapes the, the institution. Yeah, like, within 10 minutes of talking to him. Well, apparently he had like he had like copied like one of the guards. Like, yeah, he'd been leaving somehow. on and off forever. So yeah, <laughs> but yeah, but also they yeah, had the guy asked Lisbon for a back rub. She's like, no, like a shiatsu <laughs> massage. Yeah. Um, so Jane intuits something that like he there's some hospitality that he's going to be looking for. Either that's where the locker is, or that's where Oliver is. Oh, and he also had a like a, a white noise generator in his room that played the sounds of the sea. Oh yeah, yeah. And he yeah, had yeah, a poster it, on the wall of like bikini girls at the beach, and so there must be a river that Sacramento's next to because I don't think it's next to the ocean. So just must be like a a river that runs through it because they keep having stuff with like beaches in these episodes. Yeah, <laughs> inside Sacramento, Jane's like asking Van Pelt like all these questions, like if if this if this where would you go, and then she kind of narrows it down to this hotel that he goes to, which has kind of a sketchy hotel clerk because he's apparently offering sex workers like at the bellhop yeah, and Jane, at the desk. And Jane's like, I, I'm not looking for companionship. 
but then CBI like proper gets like a hint that Oliver's like heading for Brazil because one of the credit cards he copied got like a flight uh, for Brazil. And then Jane literally says, flight's a misdirect. <laughs> uh, so Jane's waiting for Oliver to find the locker. They follow him outside the hotel and they they go to like a, it's like a shoreside amusement park or something. Yeah. And then Oliver's attacked by some guy in disguise, which I thought he killed him at first. Yeah, I thought he like stabbed him or something. It was like, yeah, <laughs> just went down like a sack of laundry. He's like, what did he do? <laughs> Cho and Lisbon give chase, and then Jane checks out the locker the guy was trying to pry open, but there's nothing inside. And also, like he puts the key in and it doesn't fit. I think. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, it doesn't because he finds it because find out that Bunting was the guy in disguise, and the locker key was a puzzle itself because forty two didn't correspond to number 42 is like grid position four something two like yeah. an l or or maybe like that'd be more like a uh a chess grid or something like that i'm not sure um but yeah jane finds the locker and then there's just like a mysterious black box inside well yeah. and then uh, oliver and no. tolman are taken back to cbi headquarters yeah so lisbon's interrogating bunting and then like some higher ups that he <laughs> Like, he just knows people, and they get him out almost immediately. So yeah, like, multiple violent crimes were committed. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, he's free to go. He's like, oh, you must have pictures of the attorney general with sheep or something, because, like, that's you very unusual. Uh, but it just establishes Cho that Tolman's, like, untouchable, and therefore, like, immediately in my mind, well, he didn't kill him, because obviously this guy can get out of stuff. So yeah, that's, that's not going to be the, the CBI is not going to, like, go into a massive political fight with the you know whoever the well, powers are in california so well this kind of a misdirect or like a, a too obvious thing where they're talking with bunting and they're like it's like what would you do to get this like box and he's like oh anything besides killing yeah <laughs> it's like no nah, you probably kill somebody for this thing but then you know, we have uh, Cho interrogates Oliver, and he talks about like Oliver wanted to find the machine so he could build his own and sell it to make enough money to build his bunker to hide from the aliens or whatever. Yeah, um, so like no, yeah, it's like half the people. You're describing half the people that work in tech there. And then Jane takes, well, Jane like has like uh, Oliver look at the device first to like kind of see how it works, because then he's gonna like set up. He's going to set up bunting here because they take the device to his place. Brother seems immediately suspicious because they're trying to test it out, see if it'll hack into Lisbon's records. Yeah, they put Lisbon's um, personnel file on the on a disc like Jane happens to have it with him. It's like, oh, OK, this isn't what this is. But yeah, but like it, the, the thing doesn't work at first. And but then the wife like comes over and kind of like stealthily hits some dip switches on the on the device. Um, which Jane is able to spot because that's what he's looking for. And then a message pops up and it's saying, my wife killed me. And the wife did kill him because he wasn't going to sell the box for $2 million to Bunting because he thought it would unsettle the universe or whatever. Well, he just didn't want his stuff used to like hurt people. Yeah. yeah. And, that, and having like the SeaTech astronomy box, you would hurt a lot of people. Especially a guy like Bunting, who was just like, oh, I have no morals. I freely admit it. Yeah. I'm proud he of that. Say, he also was going to sell to everybody. So. Yeah, sell to the Chinese, sell to the Russians. And the, the, like, kind of a fun thing is like Jane knew it was the wife all along because everything in the house was turned upside down except for the kitchen because that was like the one area of the house that she controlled. Ah, uh, the tea detective. <laughs> and then we have Bunting comes in with like a legal document uh, so he so that he gets the device. 
and then but jane like broke the device and handed it over to him and he also wins like the the show long chess game <laughs> so yeah so you know e- evil doesn't get doesn't come ahead uh you know everybody gets there <laughs> bunting doesn't get to destroy the world the lady went to jail for killing her husband and jane won the chess game so <laughs> Everything's churning up roses for the CBI. So evil didn't win, and then question mark. Because you know how I feel about Jane. It's like, yeah, he's just <laughs> another form of evil. It's just it's relatable. Yeah, that was like, yeah, it was an all right episode. So yeah, yeah, it was fun. Like I said, I I know where they got. I pull a lot of inferences in sometimes in the mental. It's like, oh yeah, this is reminds me of that. And yeah, I mean is, every show does it because yeah, well, there's only so many ideas like, oh, out there, and yeah, yeah. And you got to do 28 of these things. You're not doing like, you know, two hour movie or something. There'll be an episode of the uh, mentalist. that's like seven. I'm sure. You know, <laughs> yeah, that's coming. I, I, yeah. I mean, I had seven vibes in the, in the first season because of, because of how they shot it. And yeah, it's just kind of like a bleak California suburbs <laughs> or no, it was like bleak California, like farmland and then, you know, dead bodies <laughs> now we've kind of been more city based for season two <laughs> yeah city season two they've definitely upped the production values and tightened up the story writing quite a bit yeah. it's it's like it's like jane on a farm like chewing on a piece of straw it's like yeah it's california <laughs> right okay and there are parts of california that are like that but it's yeah. not what you associate in your mind i mean but they are in northern california so yeah more sense but you have all california to do stories with so yeah, it's a massive state. More people live there than Australia. So, and then for our third show, we have Miami Vice season two, episode twenty-one, Freeverse. Original air date April fourth, nineteen eighty-six. NBC Friday. The team is assigned to protect a renowned poet who has come to the U.S. seeking political asylum. With sexy Carmen in the mix, things get complicated. I don't even know who that is. Is that the assassin lady? Yeah. Okay. Bianca like- Jagger. <laughs> No, Bianca's the the daughter, isn't it? No, that's the assassin lady. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. Well, I gotta rewrite these notes. <laughs> oh, yeah. No. Yeah, showrunner Michael Mann, teleplay by John Trombetta, story by Shell Williams, and not Ampersam, Jim Trombetta. So, yeah, it, it shows. Two, so it's two stories stuck together, and they didn't write it together, and then one guy wrote the screenplay or the teleplay. Uh, directed by John Nicolo. I also missed this. I wrote down a trivia that Michael Bay is one of the goons. Oh, okay. It says Michael Bay is Goon 3. And I guess also, oh, what's his name? There's another famous goon in here. He's already in this season. Yeah, Luis Guzman. Oh. another goon in this season. Oh, yes? Okay. <laughs> I didn't recognize him, but yeah, that's in the, uh, the cast list. But super weird thing about trying to watch this is this is no longer on Peacock anymore. Huh, I wonder why. I don't know. Now it's on, it's like on Stars, but not on Stars. It's also not on the NBC website, which it used to be. So now it's, if I go to the Stars website and I try to find me Vice, it's, it's not there. It's specifically on the Stars app for Roku. Okay, weird. Yeah. I and... can't think of any reason why. Well, I can't, and there's no, I can't find a way where I can actually like. So I watched it on the like Roku channel on on a website, but there's no way I can like link my cable subscription 
to stars through Roku, they want you to buy a Roku box. Oh, okay. Uh, which I used to own one, but it's so old, probably doesn't work anymore. But so yeah, I gotta find stupid ways to watch my device. Cause like, technically, like they they put I like I put a they put a pay. You can watch all the episodes except for the first and last episode. They put like a pay thing on it. Okay. <laughs> it's like buy a subscription if you want to watch this episode. That that's super weird. We've had we've had Miami Vice jump so many streaming services it's i don't know why it's getting tossed around that's why i just bought the whole thing on disc because i just gave up with this nonsense yeah that was super weird because i know like the miami vice michael mann movie just got added to hbo max and i heard both versions did but i only see the one only see one on there oh the four isn't there like a four hour version of it or something yeah there's a director's cut out there that i hear is like genius although there's been like this weird a lot of people are like coming back to the Miami Vice 2008 movie and like it's like because like if you look at like the ratings it got it was like pretty like minimal it was like average and now yeah. everyone's like no this is genius and it's like well I gotta look at it again because I, I remember it being cool but I don't remember it being genius <laughs> well I remember it being exactly what I thought Miami Vice <laughs> should be as a movie it's yeah. like cool main actors lots of expensive stuff driving fast lots of shootouts and it's like, yeah, it's I don't care. It was all it's because it's all like just that Michael Mann like style, that's yeah. cool. Um, but yeah, I would like to see the four hour version, but I remember it being an adequate movie. Yeah, I yeah. remember I went and saw it, and then my truck got stolen. I was like, that's what I always associate <laughs> with the Miami Vice movies. Like, yeah, it's the night my truck got stolen. Um, I I remember it being like entertaining, but also disappointing. Yeah, well, I didn't. Yeah, I think that, I think that was also coming off of like Collateral, which was really cool. Yeah, that's the thing. Is like, oh, it's I want to go back. I want I want to be in the mindset of Collateral while I'm watching Miami Vice. <laughs> well, I, like, I, I, no. I don't think this was. I, I don't think this way. Like, I think Collateral is a better movie, but they're also just different things. So. Yeah, well, Collateral is like a character stuff. Collateral is almost yeah. a play. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. very cool the way it's done. <laughs> why always like michael mann will always have a a kind place in my heart just because of some of the stuff he's done like that where it's like this is really cool no one <laughs> else does this this way yeah because if you look at like, collateral it's like you think it's like a big action movie but like no it's like oh. a very specific action movie like when it does action it's so specific and and cool that's like it makes you feel that it's like way bigger than it is it's like three second shootouts, but it's like that guy did like 50 things. <laughs> yeah, it's really hard hitting action when it comes. And it's also yeah. like the actors were like, like Tom Cruise playing someone who Tom Cruise has never played yeah. and doing a great job. It's it's like, well, you didn't expect that from you know Tom, and it's, Tom and, Cruise bad well, it's guy. Also, yeah, it's also it's not an ensemble. It's like two guys. It's Jamie Foxx and Tom Cruise, yeah. the whole movie. <laughs> I mean, there's some other people in there, but like you don't remember them. It's pretty much a two-person movie. So. Yeah, I remember like the girl at the end, like the U.S. attorney that he's supposed to kill. She did a good <laughs> job. It's oh, was it Jada Pinkett Smith? Oh, it was Jada Pinkett Smith. Okay. okay, yeah, she did a good job. And P- and Peter Berg is like the dumb cop in the movie. Oh yeah, that's started, right. Yeah, before he started directing blockbusters. Right. Actually, probably around the time. <laughs> yeah, I think he did this, and he's like, okay, I've learned some things. I mean, I think he was already a director, but it's kind of a fun thing where it's like a director or an actor who's turned director and then like doing like an acting role for his buddy. <laughs> it's like, don't you direct, don't you direct blockbusters? Well, it's like, yeah, uh, John Favreau did that. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. We have a plane landing. There's some dark synth music playing. We have a mysterious lady. <laughs> yep. 
then like they pan across and you see Gina and Trudy are there, but then they keep following the the mysterious lady. Yeah, you don't know what's going on in the uh, in the in the movie because there's like the she's walking through wearing sunglasses and stuff, and then it's like, well, she cleared customs. They X-rayed her bag, and then then you got the guy um, Sandoval, who's like a political activist who's uh, we we'll then they never say what country he's from do they uh i heard mention of argentina but i think that was like indirect okay i think it was just supposed to be vague south american country <laughs> yeah because this was at the same time like crazy stuff was going on in central america yeah and america of course the cia was deeply involved in we got to keep the communists out it's like how do we do that fund murderers like, okay <laughs> yeah We'll set up our own, uh, like we'll send them to the murder school here in America with the CIA. And you know, yeah, like, Sandoval's in like a, he's like an electric wheelchair, and like all of Vice is guarding him. Like even even Castillo's there. Yeah, the the whole like yeah, the 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 Vice Squad uh, of Miami Dade or wherever is is like they're 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 been pressed into service as Secret Service agents now. Some some Fed thought they couldn't do it as well as Vice could, so they gave it to Vice. Yeah, it's just like okay, this is the story. Uh, <laughs> they're doing close protection detail. The mysterious lady gets handed a gun with a silencer. Then the lady kind of pretends to be an interviewer uh, as a reporter, and then she asks him some questions like, "Do you want to interview me later on?" She's and he's like, "Yeah, sure." And then and then she like walks up to her handlers and she's like, "The old men will be easy to kill." Yeah. I, I see where I screwed up. Like, the lady is called her name. Her actual name is Bianca Jagger. Jagger, <laughs> yeah, yeah Mick Jagger's ex-wife. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. that makes sense. But so the daughter character, her character name is Bianca. Blanca. Oh, is it Blanca? Yeah, okay. but they say it so they say it with a like Spanish accent. So it's a, Blanca, come here. You know, so you don't know exactly because they're saying it fast. But yeah, it's one's Blanca, the other's Bianca. But the, her name in the show is Carmen. Yeah. And I was like, where is Carmen San Diego? Oh, she's trying to kill some old poet, and a we- some old socialist poet from Central America in a wheelchair. And that, like, and I guess they put him in the wheel. I don't know if that guy's actually like disabled or they just put him in a wheelchair to like imply like bad things happen to him. Yeah, I'm not um, sure. I mean, he's 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 a white guy from Pennsylvania. <laughs> he's an Irish or uh, Irish American. His name's Burn Piven. Uh, he's more of a like a playwright and a stage actor, oh, okay. Which is why he had, like, he had, this guy had a lot of like dialogues. A lot of it said like to himself in an alleyway, um, <laughs> about you know what he's doing and why, and because he's in um, Miami, of course, to receive uh, recognition and to testify before Congress about the death squads in Central America and all yeah. the stuff that was really going on back then, and. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, like I said, the Miami Vice squad is this protection detail. We come back from the opening credits after she says the old man will be easy to kill. And then Tubbs shows up at one of their luxury safe houses. Yes. Yes, their $10 um, million beachfront safe houses <laughs> that they got from drug dealers. Yeah, because like this season, there's been a bunch of that. In the first season, like we're going to have like you in a safe house and it's just some drubby hotel. <laughs> yeah, it's like a flop in my that you just know is hot. By looking at it, it's like, oh, that's a hot place in Florida. And everyone's just watching, like, 1930s cartoons, so you know everything is wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Sandoval's explaining, like, his life story and how, like, being prison and, and, like, he basically wrote some manifesto and they they, uh, they they just tore it up in front of him. 
he seems kind of like overinflated with his self worth, but that's all just a that's all just a cover. Yeah, <laughs> uh, so we'll, we'll find out. And then Casillo's just like telling Sandoval's like, "Yeah, we need to skip all your appearances because they're going to try to kill you." Like the most important thing is the con- the congressional meeting. Yeah, and Sandoval's like, "No, I want to meet people." <laughs> It's like, no, oh, I'm in a wheelchair. I'm old. I'm <laughs> horny. I need to meet the young women. Uh, and Castillo's like, okay, we'll set up the details. All right, now I'm going to get like five of my guys killed, I guess, so this guy can get a Medal of Freedom from a bunch of socialists. You know, it's just like. <laughs> we got the, the lady assassin. She just has like a, a trunk full of basically the Miami Vice arsenal. Like, you know, every gun they've had in the episode, just put it in the trunk. Yep, put it in the trunk, and yeah, she's ready to go. And there's some dude in a Porsche that's like watching the assassins. Assassins. Yeah. It's like, what's that about? Tubbs gets to know Sandoval's daughter, uh, Bianca, and then she says like, all her father wants to do is just with his fame is to meet young women. And so yeah, that's pretty much the whole episode. Yeah. Vice tanks takes Sandoval to some function. They're all dressed up. Yeah, it's like uh, a modern Tubbs. art gallery or something. Yeah. Tubbs makes Sandoval lay lay down in the back with like a blanket over him. <laughs> Yeah, like, people are gonna try to shoot you. <laughs> puts up the convertible top. It's like yeah. that better be Kevlar. <laughs> and then like Zito and Switek also have a convertible and they have his chair in the back seat. <laughs> yeah, and it doesn't collapse down. It's just standing up. I guess chairs in the eighties didn't collapse down. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe the electric ones don't. I don't know. Well also like yeah, getting around the eighties with something like that would just be you would have to have an army of people with you. Yeah. <laughs> you couldn't you couldn't do anything. That was yourself. way before the ADA was signed into law. So, yeah, like you, because you'd have to like carry that guy up the stairs and stuff, you know. Yeah, so they show up to like this weird art gallery to applause. <laughs> yeah, uh, the and it's the most tacky modern art like horror yeah. show. <laughs> I think they did that on purpose just to be goofy. I don't know. They're walking around and Sandoval notices the assassin lady and says, "See you later." <laughs> Because uh, he's just hitting on all the women. <laughs> yeah. That seems that Bianca knows the Porsche dude. I wrote down brother because she says, you must meet Papa. And I was like, is she just meeting her dad in general? <laughs> is, that the, or is that like the brother? It's not a brother. He's apparently just some student that they, yeah, uh, he used to be a student of his or something. Sandoval hits on the assassin lady. She has a gun strapped to her leg. <laughs> uh, and then she like very obviously like point pulls it out to shoot him. But like, you know, has to make a statement before she shoots him and then Tubbs just shoots her dead. <laughs> yeah, just blasts her, you know, with, from across, across the room. This sniper, you know, 38 snub nose. Yeah, the 38 <laughs> snub nose. It's thousand yard gun in Miami Vice. <laughs> <laughs> that's actually the Bren 10, but yeah. That's... Yeah. I mean, they weren't that far apart, but it's, there's a lot of like. A lot of people. Actually later. <laughs> And then Sandoval just kind of seems miffed and unimpressed by... Yeah, you think it's like, okay, Sandoval's going to like come back to Earth. Yeah. It's like this woman was shot to death in front of you while trying to kill you. (laughs) Like, ah, maybe it's... It's like, nope, he doesn't miss a step. Let me come back from break and Sandoval's like at the safe house and he's just like trashing potential poetry. He's just like throwing it aside. And then he decides like, I want a gun for myself. And then like... They don't want to give him a gun. <laughs> yeah, I like it because yeah, Crockett and Tubbs are sitting there, and he, he's like, "Are you nuts? No, we just, just, this is America. Everyone has a gun." It's like, well, yeah, you got it. Okay, give him a gun, guys. <laughs> like he's rolling around his wheelchair with a fifty cal or something. It's like, okay, Porsche guy is Manuel Guerrero. Uh, he's an old student of Sandoval. 
Bianca like hits on Tubbs, but Tubbs just kind of brushes it off because, you know, lately that all goes wrong. So he's knows to avoid that for now. <laughs> Look, you don't want to sleep with me, okay? You're gonna <laughs> die if if you sleep with me. You're gonna die. Why do you have disease? It's like no. It just the last chick set herself on fire in front of me and like. Crockett had to shoot her. It's a weird story. And we were listening to Public Image Limited. It's like, yeah, it's strange. A robot came into the room. Oh, no, another movie. But Which I looked up that movie. You can't find it anywhere. It's no, it's movie. it's weird. It's a great movie, but it's like, well, it's not a great movie. It's just kind of cool. Well done for what it was. Yeah, for what it was. For its $10,000 budget, it was a pretty cool movie. And then we have Gina and Trudy are trailing Manuel, and then like the right winger guys grab him, and they take off with Manuel. They pull out a machine gun and like, or some some machine gun and fire it at, at Trudy as they like announce themselves from like a third floor. Balcony. Yeah, Tr- Trudy and uh, the other lady are doing yeah like Gina. like yeah multi like multi story surveillance, <laughs> and uh, and these guys come in with machine guns and they uh, they whip their thirty eights out like Miami Vice and of course <laughs> this guy's just like you know. <laughs> But they can easily duck and get out of the way because the bullets have to travel so far against gravity because they're like, you know, 100 stories away from this dude. <laughs> we lost him. Just... It's like, yeah, no shit. <laughs> also, in a crowd full of people, they return fire. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's just, I mean, maybe these, maybe I'm just because I'm just a civilian and I only know how to shoot guns like in a loose way. Maybe they just have the presence of mind that they know. It's like I'm not going to hit any innocent people. <laughs> firing a snub-nosed pistol from a hundred stories away, but I don't know. It actually wasn't a hundred stories, but it was kind of ridiculous. You can tell they just made it to make that shot because it looked cool. It's like, ah, this guy's firing a machine gun. It's dangerous. There's a team meeting. Crockett's worried that Manuel will give up the safe house. Yeah. They captured him. Uh, Castillo makes it clear that Sandoval's next public appearance is his last before he does a congressional thing. Uh, so they go to the theater or whatever, and Sandoval just like reads poetry to a packed audience. Yeah, some and they guy, let like, this re- go on for like ten minutes in the show. <laughs> There's some guy in the audience who like reaches for a bag, and then Crockett sees him and like he just grabs him and kicks him out of the auditorium. <laughs> yeah, it's like how did he get a bag in there? It's like- <laughs> Sandoval finishes poem and he gets a standing ovation. And meanwhile, we have like the the SWAT team and Zito and Switek with some like future shotguns at the time or something yeah. weird weird guns <laughs> they raid like the white the right winger base which uh, is an Manuel... abandoned mansion on a beach somewhere <laughs> yeah. and manuel's like being tortured with like sound or something yeah i don't know i didn't quite uh i, I tried to look that up and it was it was like dental drills and stuff like that uh, played at high which would just like any noise that loud would be painful like that's yeah what they're yeah, well, like he, the guy puts on earmuffs before he hits play yeah um and that's why he doesn't see like swat team like <laughs> like making a a beeline for <laughs> so that, yeah they get manuel out and then we have come i think we got a break again because we come back and tubs and crockett are interviewing manuel in the hospital crockett doesn't buy manuel's story <laughs> yeah he doesn't trust um, manuel the conversation kind of becomes political because it's like you have right-wing death squads and then you have these left-wing gorillas who are also just killing people <laughs> indiscriminately yeah and then Crockett's like seems to, I don't know, not take sides. He just doesn't care. <laughs> Crockett's a centrist here. He's like, ah, both sides. Yeah, one man's freedom fighters is another man's terrorist. <laughs> it's all pointless. You're just fighting over the same patch of poverty. It doesn't matter if you're communist or capitalist. You're just poor. You know, he doesn't say that, but he might as well. 
Actually, I think he just gets mad because she's like, well, what your country's doing. He's like, listen, lady, I'm not here to do politics. <laughs> Don't say anything about America as long as you stand <laughs> on our soil. And then Sandoval has gone missing on his own, so he wasn't taken. And then Bianca gave Sandoval a gun. Yeah. And then, but, and then we have and the then, weirdest uh, club scene. Well, a little bit. Because like, everyone has cool cards to them. Because, like, Trudy and Gina, who, like, Gina used to have, like, just, like, a, a shitty, like, Cutlass Supreme or something where, like, the roof was coming down. Yeah. Here she's got a Toyota MR2. Which I'm not sure how those received at the time, but now they're like huge collector items. Those were actually really cool cars. They were advanced okay. for their time. Yeah, yeah. Because um, I think their power to weight ratio is really good. Because it doesn't yeah. have a big super sport engine, but it doesn't weigh anything either. So it's like yeah, yeah. you can really pull some shit with those. And is it like mid-mounted engine? Or yeah, it's a, it's a mid-mount. Mid-rear, yeah. Um, it's fun to work on. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. No, it's terrible. It's uh, <laughs> Gotta have a hoist. Oh, okay. Then we're at some club where suicidal tendencies is playing. <laughs> Which I always associate them with like 90s skater culture. I did not know they existed. Oh, no. They've been around since like 82, I think. And they <laughs> so, were singing Institutionalized, which was like uh, cool. I was not expecting this at all. <laughs> I didn't remember uh, it, but once it started, I was like, oh, yeah, okay. And at first I was like, oh, they're just playing the song. But no, they're there as the band That's playing. Actually suicidal tendencies, yep. And they yeah, play almost Sandoval. the whole song, too. Yeah. Yeah, Sandoval is just there, and he's out of place. He's, like, trying to dance with the ladies in his wheelchair. Yeah, it's kind of like um, a weird, like, Miami punk bar. Yeah. But it's also, like, got the future grosso, like, we got a bunch of gloves full of sand hanging down. Isn't that kooky? <laughs> and it's all... That pastel color scheme, but we're all punks. It's like, mm, yeah. okay, this is somebody's idea of what that would be like. <laughs> Hector is drinking and partying with a loaded gun. He's like partying with this lady who like know who's who she is, so they're like dancing. Yeah, she's and like, some, oh, I know your poetry. I loved your whatever. And and some meathead like walks up and like takes her away because presumably it's like her boyfriend. I thought it was like security. It was like, why is he taking her away? It's like, oh, it's her boyfriend or something. Yeah. Uh, and so Sandoval just shoots the gun in the air and like every and ruins the party. Everyone, everyone, everything goes quiet. But the thing is, everyone knew he had the gun already because yeah. the one girl was like, he pulled out the gun and she was like, cool. You know, it's like, <laughs> you know, just nobody cared. Fight the power, man. Yeah. It was the best thing that could have happened. Until he starts shooting it. Then it's like, whoa, wait yeah. a minute. As a symbol, as a metaphor. No, don't actually shoot the gun. <laughs> so, then, yeah, then he leaves. And then the next scene, he's just Sandoval's drunkenly delivering poetry in the empty streets. And this goes on for, like, another ten minutes. It's like we're <laughs> we're getting all our traction out of this stage, stage actor and playwright. Because yeah. he probably wrote his own stuff. <laughs> They're like, yeah, cool, go with it. It adds, it adds um, character to the show. Yeah, and then Sandoval is like trying to shoot the street light, but he misses. And then Tub shows up and grabs the gun away. <laughs> They're really mad at him at first, but then Crockett decides to be empathetic and he's like, "Hey, man, what's wrong with you?" Yeah, and I guess he's just feeling sorry for himself because he's just like coasting on all his old material. He hasn't written anything new in like years. Yeah, you actually kind of feel for. It's kind of a weird character, but then you're like, "Oh yeah, this is a man." Kind of at the end. Yeah. He was a revolu he was a leftist revolutionary at one time and now he's just sort of like 
he, he's become like this, uh, what would you call that? Like those kind of the grandfather figures of whatever movements. And he's not happy yeah. with that role. And meanwhile, at the hospital in Manuel's room, Bianca gets a call in the hospital. She gets tricked to going downstairs. And then like the, the right wingers capture her and take her away. Yeah. Kraken Tubbs takes Sandoval to Vice. Castillo says that their safe house was under surveillance by these right winger guys. And, and apparently Manuel is like a left wing gorilla that also wants Sandoval dead so he can be a martyr. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. Everyone wants Sandoval dead for different reasons. <laughs> including Sandoval. <laughs> yeah. Including him. So the Reagan faction and the Chomsky faction both want him dead. Uh, and he himself also wants to die. And following Miami Vice logic, he's probably the only one in the episode who doesn't. <laughs> because, you know, you never get what you want. So, yeah, Sandoval gets a, a ransom call at Vice for his daughter. Kraken Tubs are, like, watching with night vision goggles for, like, some super Jeep. <laughs> yep. A lot of cars in this episode. <laughs> yeah, this is a car-rich episode and a technology-rich episode. Because they have yeah. a night vision monocle that's as big as, like, a Kasigian astronomy scope. That they can sort of see at night with. Like, they, they you know, they kind of make it look cool. And Switek has, like, an M16 with a giant starlight scope on it and a bipod, which is, like, just nonsense thrown together to look cool on TV. But. And then, like, Sandoval, like, goes up to this place and, like, a lady comes out with a submachine gun. And she's, like, going to take him in. And he, like, knocks her over and then, like, Ah, it's gone wrong. They're going to shoot him now. <laughs> they just open fire on everybody. <laughs> well, yeah, because the Jeep has like 50 lights on it. Yeah. And, and then they flip on the lights. It's like, Mammy Vice, stop what you're doing. And then Switek just drops the lady with the submachine gun like immediately. And there's some guy in a balcony somewhere that they shoot and he falls over. Or yeah. Something. <laughs> yeah, because it's like oh, the, the Miami Vice team has now transitioned from uh, uh, Secret Service to now they're Navy SEALs. Like, they're, <laughs> they're just, they're all over the place. I mean, they do have SWAT with them, but you know. yeah. 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 Well, this is the first time we've seen the SWAT guys seriously in a while. I think, I think Crockett has the Steyer Og again. I'm not sure. I don't remember. Yeah, and then, like, Sandoval makes his way indoors, and he's, like, talking to the assassins, and, like, they're trying to, like, make a trade-off. He's like, well, I did my end of the deal. And they're, they don't immediately say, like, the cops are here. You did not hold up the end of your deal. Yeah, it seems like they're pretty casual about, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's snipers taking out our gunmen on the roof. But it's like, we can still do this thing. We're still going to have, like, a five-minute conversation about this. So the assassins make it look like they're going to kill both the Sandovals, and then, of course... SWAT and Vice show up and kill everybody except for the Sandoval. Literally from one end of the room to the other. Like, they're just like 30 <laughs> guys there with guns. It's like, yeah, the Sandovals make it again. And then they're out shot. Then they're out there outside. And then Manuel shows up and he's like, and they're like, why aren't you at the hospital? And then and he's like, ah, oh, like, I, I just want you to know I love you too. And then he pulls a gun on him. He's going to kill them both or whatever because he needs to make him a martyr. Uh, and then Crockett just shoots Manuel dead. That's in the episode. Yeah, just seen. It's like, yeah, Sandoval's life really sucks. I mean, it's like everyone has died around him except his daughter. Yeah, this was this episode was a mess. Uh, it's kind of good, the, but it was sort of a mess. Too. Yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot of good ideas in there, but yeah, it just kind of <laughs> didn't make overall make sense. But like you can see, like you know, okay, we're gonna tackle some South America stuff. We're going to have all these cool things here, which I think the John Nicolillo episodes have a lot of those. Like, yeah. Because uh, remember, he also, I think he also, remember that episode that had 
Remember the episode where like they're also on like some weird abandoned beach motel and there's like kids holding people hostage and there's like also people living in there and then Tubbs like pretends to be like a Jamaican like guitarist and he walks himself into there. That was another job. Oh yeah, that was a hotel episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because they had the so, underage uh yeah, gang gangbanger wannabes from South America or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, now so I, feel- I can, now I can see the DNA and and that's like yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a lot of abandoned places because this uh, the hotel that they filmed this in the end scene, like that must have really been like, hey, can we film here because it was actually an abandoned hotel? Because remember all the mattresses piled up everywhere when the <laughs> when the right winger gorillas were walking through. I was like, that's some wonderful set stuff. And then the more <laughs> I watched the episode, I was like, no, they're just filming this in an abandoned hotel. This is like really an abandoned hotel. Yeah, I mean, I, I like I said, I sort of liked the Sandoval character because the actor was good, and it was yeah. like this was not a typical Miami Vice like scumbags versus cops, or yeah. or, or super psychotic drug dealers. Like, no, this guy was what? kind of a sad character who believed in something, and everyone's manipulating him. And I think yeah, I think the right wingers don't work. I think you need to do more with that assassin lady because she had a look to her, and she seemed interesting. She got no character. Yeah. <laughs> She seemed dangerous at first, and then she's dead. <laughs> and Bianca Jagger is from that part of the world, and she's like a human rights activist for all oh, the okay. stuff that was going on down there. Um, and that's, I mean, you know, remember we watched, uh, we did Oliver Stone, we watched uh, uh, Salvador and stuff yeah. like that. This is all about that stuff, which was a big thing at the time. Now those countries have just like caved in on themselves, and we're just trying to figure out. That's why I have this huge immigrant crisis now, because those countries have just ceased effectively being governed. I mean, unless, you know, gang membership is a form of government, but it was an okay episode of Miami Vice. It could have could have clicked along a little more I, coherently. Yeah, but... I, mean, I don't know. I've seen way worse episodes. Oh, yeah, seasons. yeah. I mean, this isn't the worst <laughs> thing we've ever seen. I like it because it's timely and topical for the time it was created. It was, like, kind of ballsy to even talk about this stuff, considering we're a year away from the Iran-Contra hearings because, <laughs> yeah, you know, all that stuff. So it's like, yeah, this was actually topical. Well, that's why I pointed out that there was a this, you know, that it was a story. There was two story by credits by people that read it, written it separately. Yeah. So obviously it was the two, two stories thrown together. So that's what it, even, it even had a, a different name. Oh, did it? Huh. Yeah, it was called um, Oh Zero Solution was the other name of the episode, but they went <laughs> with, they went with free verse because this guy was a poet. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Well, if you like what you heard, and how can it you? You can find us anchor.fm slash Verhoeven Effect, or you can go to VerhoevenEffect.com. We'll take you to the same place. Uh, whatever platform that you're listening to us on, if it allows rating, you can rate us whatever you want, but the highest rating is the only thing the algorithm listens to. Remember, you control the algorithm. The algorithm doesn't control you. Uh, we also have listener support at VerhoevenEffect.com, where you can you can sponsor us at a monthly stipend of $0.99, cents, $4.99, or $9.99. You can also find us at Twitter at Verhoeven Effect, Facebook at Verhoeven Effect. You can find us on YouTube at American Greed Factory, where we play both this, well, well yeah, <laughs> that show and this show live and unedited. Sometimes uh, in the future. <laughs> uh, and you can also find t-shirts at belowthecollar.com slash greed factory. So for the Verhoeven Effect podcast, this is Gauntlet. This is Nathan. Goodbye, America. Goodbye, America.